Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking four lessons learned after making a million bucks with author Jeff Goins. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. So naturally you'd think, you know, you make a million bucks and you feel pretty much like the world is the most amazing place. Well, not so fast, says author Jeff Goins. He made a million bucks and instead of feeling amazing and euphoric, he was left feeling completely underwhelmed and wondered what in the world was behind this feeling. 
around this time, he also started to work on his new book project that became Real Artists Don't Starve, the book we're going to talk about today. And it's a book about creativity and business and why money and art can actually go together. So there he was writing a book on why money wasn't a bad thing. And he really wasn't sure he actually believed this message anymore. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Jeff. We're going to talk all about the book. We're going to talk all about his journey. And we're also going to talk about those four lessons he learned about money when he was making money. All right, Jeff, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I have read your books. I've actually been following you for a while. So I am uh, super excited to have you and to talk all about your new book and uh, a few other things that I think our listeners are really going to enjoy. Cool. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you have this new book out, Real Artists Don't Starve, which definitely speaks to me. I always think I'm a kind of a born entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I read uh, something recently that while you were on the journey to write this book, you were also on a journey yourself to what you said, put money in its proper place. And you talked about these four lessons you learned after making a million bucks. And I would love it if you would walk us through some of those lessons and some of those takeaways. Because I think, you know, everybody thinks when they make a million bucks, like that's the holy land, you know, Um, and, and it's not always that way. So I'd love to hear kind of your reflection on that. Yeah, sure. So, um, a few years ago, I set a couple of goals. One was to launch a best-selling book, and the other was to make a million dollars. I did both of those things, and it was a very busy, stressful, uh, hard year. And I got to the end of the year, and I had done the things that I set out to do, and I wasn't depressed. You know, it wasn't like a VH, VH1 behind-the-scenes, you know, right, uh, special. Yeah, story on one author's demise. Um, and at the same time, I wasn't like super happy. It just kind of happened. And I was, uh, underwhelmed by the experience. And so that just kind of sent me on a journey, uh, to go, well, okay, what, why am I doing this? Is it to make money? Is it for some other reason? And I don't subscribe to the starving artist syndrome, the mentality that, you know, you don't need money and you, you don't need to create art for any kind of commercial appeal because you'll starve and a starving artist doesn't create. Um, but I did have to kind of figure out what, what place money held in my own creative journey. And like you, I'm entrepreneurial. I can't help but see business opportunities. Uh, but I also realized like I, I'm not, in the game of business just to play the game. You know, it is a means to an end for me. So the four lessons real quick were, you know, just very simple. Uh, one, money can't fulfill us. It's it's a tool, not uh, a destination. It's something that you can use to do other things, to buy things, go on trips, you know, invest in other projects. But in and of itself, it's not a destination. It's not an end. It's a means to an end. Uh, the second lesson is, is just that money is a better means than master. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so that, that idea is a master is something that you work for. A means is something that you use to get something else. When he was at the pinnacle of his success, Walt Disney uh, received a letter from a critic who said to Mr. Mm-hmm. D- Disney, um, you're just making movies to make money. You know, it's just a commercial mm-hmm. effort for you. And, uh, you know, I don't buy it. And he uh, very kindly Uh, but somewhat sternly replied and said, no, 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 we don't make films to make money. We make money so that we can make more films. I love that. 
Yeah. And I thought, okay, that that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm not making art to make money. I'm making money so that I can make more art. And in Real Artists Don't Starve, I end the book with that idea. Like the reason that you move from starving artist to what I call thriving artist is so that you can make more art. So don't get caught up in the process of just making more money, which is what I did. I started a writing business and I got a few years into it and I was like, okay, this is fun. I write something, I create something, I make money off of it. So I'll do more and more and more of this. And I think there is a tension there that we creatives have to live in where um, the the money serves a purpose, but it's not the ultimate goal. At least it wasn't for me. Sure. Uh, and I started, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. Don't you think that a lot of people think, you know, being an artist or being an entrepreneur that you have to struggle or that you have to be, you know, there has to be a period where there's, there's no money. And that's just part of, you know, part of the plan. I think I think people think that that just that has to go on and that just, you know, continually happens. Yeah, it's a great point, uh, Shauna. Um, And I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from the same starving artist mentality that creatives have, which is I have to suffer for my work. Otherwise, I'm not working hard enough. Otherwise, it's not big enough. Uh, otherwise, I'm settling in some way. And I see this on Facebook all the time. People are writing about their entrepreneurial journeys and, and talking about, you know, how they were broke and, you know, now they're, you know, multimillionaires or whatever. And it's part of the romance of, of the of the journey that I really have to struggle and almost go bankrupt. Like I read that book, uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Sure, who, yeah. Uh, which is a great memoir on how he started Nike. But for decades. I mean, they were in seemingly, you know, based on the reading of the book, a very tenuous position, um, you know, often on the bridge, uh, on the brink of uh, collapse and bankruptcy. And, 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 you know, they survived that Nike's, you know, a, you know, billion plus dollar company, and he's a billionaire. Um, so doing, yeah, I think he's doing okay now. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really dangerous story. Because we yeah. see a handful of people who survived a very tumultuous journey and we, and we go, Oh, like this is what it must take. And that's actually, that's a, there's a, that's a phenomenon called survivorship bias. Like you suffered through this thing. Therefore, um, the suffering must be required to get to that end result. Uh, I categorically reject that idea, especially because most of us have no aspirations of creating the next Nike. Uh, most entrepreneurs I know are, are getting into the game of business to, uh, do the kind of work that they want to do, not have a limit on their income earning potential, and they want to have freedom. You know, they want to sure. be able to um, work on the things that they want to work on uh, during the hours that they want to work on them. So, yeah, I mean, I think for all of us, um, money is necessary. Starving does not help you get to where you want to go. And you have to uh, find a way to use the money to do more of the kind of work that you want to do. And I early on was really struggling with taking my writing and turning it into a business when a friend of mine, a guy named Dan Miller, who wrote a great book called 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I said, yeah, I'm really struggling with this. You know, do I keep growing my business? You know, maybe I should just stop and, and you know, this is enough. And, and he said, if you have a gift for making money, um, you really need to embrace that gift and use it the best that you can. And make as much money as you can, um, he said, because nobody ever said you had to keep it all. 
Right. And, and I was like, oh, you know, he's like, you could give it away, you know, uh, but you have a gift and you need to use that. And that was, you know, that was kind of paradigm shifting for me. And so when I realized money makes a better means than a master and it, it, it's a, it's kind of a bad uh, metric for meaning, which is the third lesson that I learned, I started finding ways to take the profit that we were making from the business, which is essential to continuing to operate and reinvesting some of that into the business. And then also taking it and giving it to charities and investing in other causes around the world that I believed in. And I, and I realized, okay, you know, I grew up lower middle class and we kind of had this, um, uh, suspicion of the rich, you know, and wealthy people and thinking they were bad or doing something wrong. And I realized that's not necessarily true. Um, I can use money to do good things in the world. And without it, um, life becomes much harder for most of us. Sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, those were, those were some of the lessons that, that I learned. It, it's, it can't fulfill us. It doesn't, um, you know, it, it, it does, it doesn't make a very good master. It makes a better means and it's a bad metric for meeting. And finally it, it has some effect on all of us. Um, and that was something that I learned from that memoir, um, by Phil Knight, she, uh, shoe dog, where he talked about when the money started coming in, the money, uh, affected us all. He said mm-hmm. it didn't affect us a lot and not for long because we were never driven by money, but that's the nature of money. Whether you have it or right. not, whether you want it or not, whether you like it or not, it will try to define your days. And our task as human beings is to not let it. And I love that. So I think, I mean, you've got to master your money or your money is going to master you. I love that. Those are, those are such, I think, awesome tips. And I think even though a lot of us, you know, kind of think, oh, well, that's common sense. You know, it's different when we're in the situation and we're dealing with money or we're dealing with, you know, our business just took off or our idea just took off, you know, it, it, yeah, your, your brain gets muddled and and things do get a little bit different for you. Mm -hmm. So I, I love those. So let's back up just a little bit. Um, to tell the listeners a little bit about your background, kind of how did you get to, you know, the point that you're at now, uh, you know, writing these amazing uh, best-selling books? What was your journey like to get there? Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or 
show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince, and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm.
Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So I've always been creative. Oh, you know, when I was a kid, I used to draw Garfield cartoons. And when I was a teenager, I wrote songs. And when I was in college, I used to pass the time writing short stories and essays and emailing them to myself because Dropbox didn't exist at the time. <laughs> right. You know, and, you know, we've all, we all remember those days. And um, throughout my younger years, um, I always heard uh, relatives and, uh, teachers and well-meaning adults in my life saying, Hey, that's great. Do that while you're young. Cause you can't make art for a living. You'll starve, right? You can't make music. You can't draw cartoons. You can't write for a living. Um, that's not a very safe career bet. And I was like, okay, all right. I, that makes sense. You know? So, um, I graduated college and I joined a band and toured the country for, uh, about a year, toured North America, did a little stint for a month in Taiwan. We were we, we were big in Taiwan. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I uh, hit it big in Taiwan. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was bizarre. It was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and I came back from that. You know, made no money off of that. I was actually a nonprofit uh, organi- <laughs> venture. Organ- yeah, yeah, organization. And um, moved to Nashville to chase a girl. Uh, Nashville is, you know, Music City, USA. Didn't move here for music at all. Just moved here for the girl. Uh, got a job. Got a job working at a call center, then a nonprofit. Um, uh, I was hired as a copywriter. I had very little writing experience. One of my jobs in college was as a writing tutor. It was just a way to make money, and, and writing was something that I was always good at. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And when I applied for my first real job at twenty four ish. Um, I had on my resume, cause when you're 24, you put everything that you've ever done on your resume, including call it, you know, college job right. of writing tutor. And, uh, my future employer said, Oh, I see that you're a writer. And I was like, I am. And I was hired as a copywriter for this, um, nonprofit organization, uh, in Atlanta. And I took the job and I started out as a copywriter. Then I became a marketing manager. Then I started the first real marketing department in that organization and grew it to about a dozen people and did that for about six and a half years. And towards the end of that really kind of just felt this strong desire to write and started a blog and took everything that I had learned really on the fly. I had learned all this on the job about online marketing. I took all those lessons. I said, what I've done this for this, you know, um, uh, you know, a good sized, um, nonprofit organization. 
um, you know, we had over, I don't know, 100, 120 staff were doing about $10 million a year in donations. Um, what if I took everything that I learned about building a brand, doing it on the cheap? Basically, I had, you know, zero marketing budget using social media, email marketing, all the free technology, you know, more or less to tell stories and get ideas to spread without, you know, doing any kind of paid advertising or anything. Um, what if I took all, all that stuff that I learned and applied it to this desire to write more? Could I build a personal brand? And that's what I did. You know, in about a year, I, I started a blog, grew an audience of uh, tens of thousands of uh, readers and uh, got offered a book deal, um, self-published a book and, you know, did a traditionally published book in the same year, ended up creating an online course and quintupled my income from that job, which sounds like a lot, but it was also a bad profit job and it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a big salary. And, right. you know, and it, this basically took two years. And by the end of two years, uh, my wife and I had had our first child. I had written and published two books had launched an online course. I'd started a business and we had both quit our jobs. And I've been doing that for you know the past five years now. And the, re the rest is history, as yeah, they say, right? That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. this new book, Real Artists Don't Starve, obviously, this is, you know, a, pa a passion project, it sounds like, um, you know, kind of compiling all of these, these amazing lessons. What are some of the key takeaways that you found when you were writing the book? Are there any chapters that really stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, so what I did was, um, first of all, ever since I quit my job to become a full-time writer and, and I realized, oh, you don't have to starve. In fact, I make more money as a writer than I did <laughs> in my day job. Um, Which is such a great message. Yeah. And, and I'm like, it's not like, I'm not like one of those writers who makes pennies off of his writing and has to supplement his income, uh, you know, doing other things. I make a full-time living off of my writing, uh, writing books and doing other various writing projects. And then I make additional income off of teaching and speaking and doing other things. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I can say I'm a working professional writer and I've been doing that for five years now and hope to be doing that for the next 20 years. Um, and one of the things that I experienced in doing this was like, especially in Nashville, very creative hub, lots of yeah. musicians, obviously, but also aspiring authors, uh, creative entrepreneurs. Uh, it's becoming more and more of kind of a, a technology hub and it's got a cool entrepreneurial, uh, vibe that's growing here. And I just, I bump into creatives all the time, you know, who basically go, oh, that would be nice. And I meet two groups. I've met two groups of people over the past, you know, really decade. Uh, one group is what I call starving artists. And, and these people who are struggling and are not making a full-time living off of their art and they're traveling musicians, they're graphic artists, they're um, uh, writers and, and so forth. And they're waiting tables or, you know, doing something else and just longing for the day when they get to create their art for a living. And they have kind of this woe is me mentality typically. And, and they also have uh, a scarcity mentality where they just don't believe it's possible. They believe those voices that said, you can't do this. You'll never make a living uh, as an artist. Then the, the, I keep running into this other group of people. Like once you do something, you find other people have done the same thing that you've done. And I realized oh, what I've done is not that rare. There's lots of full-time working writers, artists, musicians. They had a very different attitude about their art, uh, most notably of which is that it wasn't precious to them. Uh, it was important, but it wasn't this precious thing that they were worried about, like tainting by making money off of it. They had a very different um, mindset, and I would just call it a professional mindset. 
And so when I wrote this book, I wanted to tell the other side of the story. We all know the starving artist story. What we are less familiar with is the story of the thriving artist, and that is just as popular and I would argue is even more of the norm. It's just kind of been hiding in the shadows of this cultural trope uh, of the starving artist. And so uh, the way I wrote the book was I uh, examined hundreds, even really you know, several hundred years of art history from, you know, uh, Picasso to Shakespeare to Twyla Tharp uh, to contemporary artists and creatives who are making a full-time living off of their work. And I asked the question, what has always been true of creative success? And what are the rules um, that uh, uh, thriving artists tend to follow? And what are, you know, are, is there sort of a set of uh, practices that successful artists have followed that unsuccessful artists have not? And it turns out there is. Um, and, and it's basically these 12 rules of the new renaissance, as I call them. And um, what was surprising about that was talking to full-time working artists today. So the book is one part history, one part kind of contemporary stories. And just talking to almost everybody that I talked to said, you know, I wasn't born an artist. It was something that I became. It was a choice. I It was a choice that I made and had to keep making. And I love this I love idea. That, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was one thing that stood out to me, and I call it the rule of recreation, that before you can create great art, you have to first create yourself. You have to – and we're constantly recreating ourselves, and I think that's a really important message for somebody who's mid-career or was told by their parents or friends that you know you are this way and you're going to have to be this thing. Or maybe you've been telling yourself this. It's never too late to reinvent yourself, and I talk to people who are in their – 50s and 60s, and they were just beginning their creative careers. Gosh, that's so awesome. You know, I think we always think, you know, if, well, if you haven't arrived at, you know, 25, then it's not going to happen, right. you know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's I great you to that. know you can, you can keep reinventing yourself. I think one of the chapters that I loved all these chapters, one of them that so stood out to me was stop trying to be original, yeah. which I think was so great because, you know, especially in the social media world, it's like, oh, we're all trying to be original and we're all trying to be different. But I love the notion of, you know, it's, it's basically stop reinventing the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a fun one. And, uh, you know, got to give credit where credit's due. Austin Kleon has done a lot to kind of expose this myth with his uh, book, Steal Like an Artist, which is a great book about how uh, good artists copy, great artists steal, a famous quote attributed to Picasso and actually many other artists. We're not sure who first said it. Um, so ironically, that is a quote that has been stolen by many people. Um, but I love uh, what uh, a historian by the name of Will Durant said, where he says, nothing is original except arrangement. And, mm. and here's a historian saying that, right? Like, you know, sure. there, there's there's that quote of, you know, if we don't uh, learn from the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. And uh, he's going, look, there's nothing new. You know, there's nothing original except the way in which we take all the ideas that have come before, all the stories uh, all the big creative uh, movements, and and we borrow from enough sources, from enough influences and heroes and masters that have come before us, and we take all those styles and we rearrange them. We bring our own interpretation of them, and, and in doing that, we get to you know share some of our own voice and style with it. 
and we go, here, I made this. And people go, wow, isn't that original? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> isn't that so unique? And that's okay. You let them say that. Uh, sure. that that's fine. But we creatives, entrepreneurs, uh, artists, we know the truth, which is that uh, the people who are top of their game are really just stealing uh, all the ideas that have come before them and then rearranging them into something that looks original. Oh, I love that. I love it. Um, awesome. So what's what's up next for you where you know are you working on another book where where can uh, people find you next I, I mean I'm you know I'm still really passionate about this book it, it, it didn't come out that long ago and you know uh, writing a book is a bit like a, a birthing process and so um, uh, I asked an author that one time and she said you know I like you would never ask a mom when's your next kid coming right after she gave birth <laughs> right like, I want to I want to raise this kid um, so I'm really excited about this idea. I'm, you know, kicking around some ideas for a new book because I like starting to jump into the next project. But um, yeah, I think this is an important idea and, and I hope it endures for a while. I, I, I hope it gives uh, creatives, everyone from uh, fine artists to entrepreneurs to writers and all people in between the permission to thrive off of their most important work and to not believe the myth that you have to starve for your business, uh, for your art, for your passion. You have permission to thrive off of this thing. Tell us where everybody can find the book, where they can find you. Yeah, so uh, you can find Real Artists Don't Starve wherever books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, IndieBound, all those places, local bookstore. Um and if you do pick up a copy of the book, uh, go to don'tstarve.com. We have a bunch of bonuses there, including an exclusive uh, private community for just people who are reading the book. It's kind of like an online book club uh, in the form of a Facebook group where we you know, talk about how we're applying these lessons. And I'm in there answering questions. And you can find that at don'tstarve.com. Uh, more about the book, and including where to get it and how to get those bonuses. And if you want to read more of my stuff, you can go to goinswriter.com. That's G-O-I-N-S writer.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining us. These are um, amazing lessons. I think the book is great. It definitely speaks to me. So I'm hoping that everybody goes out there and grabs it and, uh, you know, gleams some inspiration. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC.